Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, it's your host Sivam, and today's episode is going to be an exciting deep dive into the world of property theory and NLMs. We have got a fantastic guest lined up for you today. Join us is the incredible Gopal from Verizon. I have been following Gopal's insightful content on LinkedIn for some time now, and I can't wait for all of you to hear first hand from the man himself. So let's get started. Gopal, so how did you get into this generative AI field? Hey, hey, Shivam. So, hey, everyone. So, pretty much uh, to start with, uh, to give a little bit uh, brief uh, before even generative AI, taking a few steps back, I am pretty much a data engineer by heart. So, started my career towards uh, the data and then evolved into a big data engineer. And uh, like around sometime 2017, 18 timeframe, that we started kicking in data science and ML journey as part of uh, financial and healthcare organizations. And uh, that's where we started getting into data science where uh, the ability to convert some statistical uh, algorithms into intelligence, right? And then how do we scale that? So that is the machine learning part of it. So I've been uh, part of this journey for quite some time now. And uh, very recently, uh, this generative AI has been uh, a very good topic to get immersed into for the past one year. So basically, I am a very much a natural language enthusiast and uh, spend some decent amount of time understanding ecosystems like uh, Spark NLP and uh, different uh, healthcare specific NLP challenges when I was part of my uh, prior organizations. And uh, that is how my passion towards languages got started. And uh, when this thing about generative AI and large language models uh, exploded after the chat GPT revelation last year, then uh, it was a natural fit to get started, learn about it, staying relevant and uh, do it part of your job where applicable. So that is pretty much uh, a summary of the journey into generative AI issue. Great, great. That, that's an incredible journey, I must say. Okay, so could you tell us about any AI LLM projects that you are part of or you are currently part of? Absolutely right. So again, uh, this is nothing uh, specific, but uh, when you think about overall uh, maturity of LLMs itself, like uh, the way OpenAI has invested, the amount of time that has gone into the training and uh, uh, evolution of this entire ecosystem is like massive. And when we want to try and replicate that either in a personal or in a professional setup at scale for enterprises, there definitely are a lot of uh, use cases that comes as natural fits, starting from, hey, how do I start uh, generating my digital marketing content, right? So today, that has been a very big evolution in that space. How do I uh, make sure the content writing is getting like enabled via AI? So th that is definitely a very, very good use case. And when you think about it, how these language models can think and respond and be able to understand the semantics of the language. So wherever I want to get a crisp snippet from a business, wherever I want to summarize, let's say there are thousands of legal documents enabling a question answering ability from those uh, for anyone that requires uh, a support, right? Today, going through these uh, knowledge bases and understanding them has been a traditional challenge across enterprises. So how do we get that moving? So these are some areas like widespread projects are being carried out across the industries. And I'm I'm also like kind of uh, learning and being part of this journey. That's, that's really great. 
So what aspects of this generative AI project excite you most? So from, from an engineering mindset, right, uh, I would answer this question because uh, conventionally, if you see the setup in large-scale companies, you have a statistical scientist, research scientist who convert a problem statement into an algorithmic solution. And then uh, we take those algorithms, make sure they are correctly plumbed with the data pipelines, scale those solutions so they can meet the customer or the business insights, right? But with generative AI, the challenge comes in a different form where you have the intelligence pre-programmed. There is a big box of intelligence and the size of that intelligent, either be it an API that is available, ready to use, like OpenAI or the Cloud A or the Palm model, which are available to us as APIs, or when you want to model yourself to get started with the inference thing, right? So there are specific engineering challenges and getting uh, uh, getting a method to this madness is definitely something that is interesting. Uh, when you want to manage this at scale, uh, serving different use cases, cost really becomes a factor with generative AI, right? Uh, anything that we do definitely requires a humongous amount of compute, which means uh, compute is really going to be a very, very expensive affair in the, in the coming days. And in an enterprise setup, when we want to invest in that compute, we really need to know what is the return on that investment. And that is where the engineering bridges this gap. And that is one thing that really passionate, uh, I'm really passionate about is, uh, how do we do this at scale? in a cost efficient manner is something that we are still figuring out across multiple businesses, right? So OpenAI mm -hmm. gave us an API where anyone and everyone is daily interacting with. And we are all like, like think about it, the number of GPUs that are getting uh, in, uh, during the inferencing and training, the amount of uh, energy that is all getting into. How do we do that in a specific enterprise setup? And what is the uh, methodical way to engineer that? is one thing that uh, kind of drives me in this journey. Great. Okay, so as you mentioned, there is a wide variety of skill set and challenges are there. Like new challenges are there when you are building a generative AI application. So according to your view, like what kind of skill sets and AI teams should have in today's scenario to build a great AI product or generative AI product? So, Skill sets, definitely uh, we could talk about it, but even one best thing about generative AI is the democratization of the AI application, right? So yes. as data science enthusiasts and data enthusiasts or AI enthusiasts, we all have been trying to get a footprint of data science and AI for different uh, fields and different companies and different use cases. But with Gen AI, I think there is a big explosion where it's all democratized and anyone and everyone can be at the receiving end, interacting with the AI, tuning it and being able to do all of this without prior technical knowledge to code is one big uh, advantage or one big uh, tool that is in hands of pretty much anyone that works for a company or a freelancer or a homemaker can definitely leverage. But when you talk about specific skill sets, it starts with... Uh, the primary ability to interact with this in a responsible fashion. So prompt engineering is something that is definitely picking up. The ability to ask the right question as if you would expect an answer from a three-year-old where you tweak the question and then make them answer. That is the same way how 
we want the business subject matter experts who actually know the knowledge of the domain be able to interact with these models and produce uh, uh, better responses for business insights right so that is one primary area where the democratization happens so creating a structured way where different personas can interact with these models so that is going to be uh, one primary thing in, in my uh, opinion then coming into advanced nuances where uh, where we want to like start maintaining our own large language models where inferencing and the compute complexity becomes a challenge so anything in that area where we can do efficient engineering to manage those compute to host these models or even develop these models is going to be the second area where the skill sets are evolving and will evolve and the third area is fine-tuning any existing models which is going to be an extension of uh, the great research work our scientists and data scientists have been doing building domain specific adapter models or fine-tuning the models to solve for specific nuanced use cases is an area where extension of uh, people who have been doing like supervised learning and deep learning are going to now also start fine-tuning the models for the enterprise and depending on the cost and the return on investment these are going to be different patterns different personas that where the things are evolving in this space uh, ship definitely definitely yeah as you have mentioned like prompt engineering and fine-tuning elements both are quite important as an skill set so in your experience how do you balance between prompt engineering and lm if you could describe with a specific scenario where this balance was particularly crucial in your case so when we, when we talk about prompt engineering right so today as as without even realizing there are good prompt engineers that are getting created every day and uh, maybe it's it's no longer a niche engineering it's like prompting that that is happening at scale across the world right so specifically if you ask between prompt engineering and fine tuning so prompt engineering is getting answers from your llms and the the way in which it evolves is when you do it, especially in uh, to serve for businesses or for enterprises, how you do it more responsibly and how you avoid hallucinations, right? So that is going to be one big challenge with these large language models. So the more inputs or more domain knowledge you carry, the better you are able to prompt, especially for use cases which are going to uh, serve like specific tasks or specific subject matters. That is going to be very very important and uh, doing that in a, a right way creating prompt templates as you can see there are a lot of cheat sheets are like guides which are uh, giving inputs on how do you interact with these llms and what are the right keywords to pick what are what are the, some words that we are not going to pick during the inference and uh, by and large all of these are going to be part of your inference which means the token limits are also going to play a vital role uh, just because we are able to explain a chain of thoughts, is it meaningful to provide it under each and every inference and how is it impacting my inferencing cost? So that is one area to think about when we want to scale the prompt engineering itself. Whereas when it comes to fine tuning, the majority of your investment or the cost portion of it stays in much ahead of the cycle, right? So 
when fine tuning you really require a huge amount of compute you really need to invest a lot on how your ecosystem looks like so you have a fine tunable environment to fine tune these llms and doing that at scale with like larger data sets or like big data is definitely a challenge that we have been solving even before llms and that is here to continue because most or all of the data that is interacting is unstructured documents images and the multimodalities today also envisages things like images videos that are part of your fine tuning so that that is one key difference right uh, thinking about compute upfront when you are fine tuning versus thinking about it during your prompting for inference is one uh, key difference i would say when it comes to the technical implementation of these two uh, techniques also. right right so like uh, focusing more on prompt engineering so what is the best way to do prompt engineering for your project what are the ways that we like to suggest to our own audiences so it again depends on what is the uh, uh, purpose of that prompt so if it is about a casual interaction i think there is definitely no one right answer but depending on what is it going to solve for right there are casual interactions that people do on a daily basis and which need not follow a strict method to because it, it becomes as if it's a virtual buddy for you like any model that you interact with but when you want to solve for specific use cases there are some best practices around enabling prompt templates so you are able to manage a custom customized set of uh, prompts that are going to interact with a model and understanding uh, how these prompts are impacting your inferences there could be contextual prompts which are always preceded before every inference then there is a context that could come out of uh, uh, your uh, rag architectures and eventually uh, there is a user input or question that gets appended to it right so how much of uh, the effectiveness comes from each of these sections the precede uh, the context that is retrieved and the user input and how do you evaluate that and correlate that to the output is one key thing that we need to uh, evolve uh, or kind of uh, automate in the space of prompt engineering because today most of the evaluation is human in the loop with subject matter experts reviewing the results because we don't want a system that produces 60 percent accuracy facing uh, agents or customers it's going to be a big challenge for enterprises. So how do we automate that is the, the, the second part of the puzzle, right? So getting a prompt template to standardize, and then how do you automate the evaluation of this entire interaction itself? So those are the two key tenets to take care of while prompt engineering. Otherwise, uh, we don't want to complicate that because we all know millions of people are interacting with these models daily and the models are learning with how these uh, people interact, right? So that definitely is here to evolve. Definitely, definitely. So as you mentioned, like definitely getting the customized smartphone template is one challenge. And the bigger challenge is, I think, evaluating the output, text output from LLM. So what do you think? Like, how are you solving them right now? What would be the best possible solution? So in terms of resolving uh, the outputs itself, I would say, uh, or evaluating the outputs itself, there are multiple techniques that are being experimented across the uh, 
data science community, right? Starting with a, a simple toxicity identifier, or it could be a profanity check uh, that needs to happen uh, prior to any of the interactions. So that there could be regulations that are driving these, which are conventional AI also used to have. But specifically, when it comes to the output evaluation, so we definitely have a lot of libraries. And what makes sense for a given use case is something that needs to be governed by a responsible AI charter, right? So when it comes to startups or large scale companies, now we have all the intelligence ready. We, anyone can interact with it. Any software application can interact with these models and produce, generate insights, generate content. But how responsible is that uh, occurring? The models were trained, and in some cases, we are not fully aware or exposed about the training data. But when those are implemented and touching your enterprise applications or software applications, how responsible is that implementation? And what are the guardrails that are being placed towards the output evaluation, right? So those are some areas that we need to constantly monitor and evolve. And currently, uh, the RLHF and the HITL are the primary ways to get things straightened out. But as we see these uh, hitting large-scale production systems in enterprises or uh, large-scale applications of users, then there is a lot of scope where we are able to collect the behavior of these models across different parameters, across different inputs, analyze the behavior, and try to come up with uh, a golden set of rules. Uh, then you have always have a context caching or your prompt caching, which lets you enable when similar questions are asked again, you always don't have to go back to an inference cycle, uh, an expensive inference cycle. You can always have a standard set of questions. Let's say we are building a bot that answers questions for users, then uh, pretty much as good as uh, the generative AI could become your big long list of FAQs that are generated over a period of time, which are cached and then exposed. So those are some advanced uh, levels I would consider. But the, the basic to start with is how do we do it responsibly with human feedback, reinforcing that with guardrails, and then evolving that uh, to the state where it needs to be. So how do you collect this human feedback like is it that thumbs up and thumbs down or there is something else that we have discovered that might be helpful for us hey, can can you repeat that show i'm sorry uh like that as we have mentioned the human feedback is really important so today the most famous human feedback loop is that thumbs up or thumbs down for every output that is generated so is there any other human feedback loop or framework that we have discovered in your projects that you would like to share with our community? So more than a framework, right? It depends on the way how we interact with these models, right? So depending on the task or depending on the subject matter, that is going to be playing a very crucial role. At least in my perspective, how a data analyst would play a role when you're building a data product is going to be the same level of inputs that we get from subject matter experts for the reinforcement, right? Let's say we are building a bot that can answer uh, or solve our uh, tech support questions, then your best person to do the reinforcement is a subject matter expert who knows which system is this about and what are the different techniques and evaluating that output answer to memorialize, right? So 
that subject matter expertise is very crucial. When we don't have the liberty or luxury to have people support this, that's when we start evaluating how relevant is the context to the question, to the output. So that relevancy is measured today using different techniques, but uh, still there is no one perfect solution that has been carved out, at least from what I am learning and what we are exploring uh, towards this journey. And uh, what do you think, how can we track performance of our AI products in production when the product is so the the main thing that comes into the picture is what is an acceptable error range right so whenever we talk about production or live apps the acceptable error range is the first thing that we all need to agree on and say hey this is we all have randomness in AI and with generative AI what is the level of uh, acceptance or the level of error that we are able to accept and what is it going to cost let's say you are building an assistant part and what is the cost of it providing a wrong instruction will be the first thing to consider when we build a production system then moving on the first point that i touched upon how do we do it more responsibly right so we can always get multiple outputs from llms interacting with multiple llms and producing a combination but the component of responsibility is very important when we do things at scale and when we want to operationalize this as a system integrated uh, production application. Then finally, how do we scale, right? So today we have a lot of APIs that are available to us, but over a period of time, we are going to run into the same puzzle of, hey, what if my cloud cost increase? How am I going to handle it? Or if I'm, I'm going to do this all by myself, how my investment on my compute looks like over a period of time for next few years. So these are some key things for us to think about when we want to run this at scale in production. Perfect. So coming to the end of our podcast, the last question for us, or like for you is like, how do you ensure like you are up to date with the ever evolving landscape of this generative AI? That is a very good question to be honest with, and especially with the number of things that are happening in generally in the AI space and the engineering space, we really need a focused learning plan. There is a lot of tendency, even when I interact with my peers and team members, this is one key thing that we always discuss upon. How do I stay relevant in this big scheme of things? And how do I make sure I'm not disturbed or like feeling, uh, maybe an imposter syndrome or feeling intimidated by the number of things that are happening. So two key things, having a focused learning path will help us get there. And definitely the second one is there are things that will hit us and we take it as a learning. Like we, we come up with a path, we come up with a focused path to learn where we want to go. But when we want to do things in reality, establish this in real time systems in production, of course, there will be learnings where we make mistakes. Learning from that and moving on is definitely a, a philosophical answer to it, right? But LinkedIn is one space where I see a lot of people to follow and understand how various organizations, various communities, and various industries are doing this. And uh, if at all we figure out a way how we can consolidate that content, there are some very good blogs that talk about this. So following a few of those and making that focused is one key 
in my opinion that's, that's. so great gopala gopal uh, today we have learned uh, lots of new things from you so thanks for sharing your experience and insights with us it really helps the community a lot and thanks for being here with us today thanks a lot yep thank you shivam thanks everyone